You're listening to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Time to get embarrassed with us. New Year. Yes, 2017. I'm, I'm alive. Continuously alive. Yes, I'd, I didn't know if I'd ever make it out of 2016, but I did. I'm not Jimmy. <laughs> I am not Alon. Every week here we bring you a show about all the old audio from yesteryears. It began with my stuff, and thank God that there's other people out there who <laughs> did more than I and have their you own the only one. artifacts. Hey, that's what it's all about. It's about unearthing the artifacts of the audio and visual variety. Yes, finding all the recordings of old, the recordings of y'all. <laughs> we do have a lot of interesting stuff to uncover this week, but before we begin, we do want to remind you that this is a new year. So, do you have any resolutions? If you do have resolutions that are involved in the art of giving, do not hesitate because we have a pledge page for Radio Free Brooklyn. Yes, this is true. We don't make any money off of this. This is purely passion. Passion project. passion. So if you do want to help that passion and you want to fund the arts, I mean, what's better than that? I mean, you could fund... Other things, but those are necessities. Necessities. You got a little extra cash, you know. Go over to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash pledge if you want to pledge directly to the station or RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash L-A-R to give directly to us. Sponsor us. You can sponsor us and be a gracious donor to our great cause. Yeah, to our great cause. I'll tell you, I'm going to get a jacket made and it's going to have your name embroidered on it. And if you have any material that you wish to talk about on the show... You could also reach out to us directly at lostandrewound at gmail.com. So let us begin and see what we have this time. is a stand-up comic and comedian hailing from Topeka, Kansas. She's lived in many different places and walked in many shoes before moving here to Brooklyn over two years ago. Since her arrival, she's gotten to work performing at Broadway Comedy Club, Village Lantern, Greenwich Village Comedy Club, and she's been on Frank Conniff's Cartoon Dump. She also produces her own monthly comedy karaoke show at Legion in Williamsburg, so... 
joining us live in the studio to talk about this and so much more. Hannah Kauger. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Welcome, welcome. You've been on Radio Free Brooklyn before. This I is have. not your first rodeo. No, no. Uh, I've been on the wonderful show Art Star Scene Radio. Mm. Yeah. A few times. A number of times, yes. That is nice. So this is like your old stomping grounds at this point. This is actually where I sit every time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? You got a side seat. She's totally sitting in my seat, and I give the guests the benefit of the doubt. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate do. it. Mm. You are clearly someone who puts herself out there as a comedian, a stand-up comic, if you decide to uh, distinguish the two. Uh, which one people do you— People do. People do. Yeah, people do. I've met a lot of people that are like, no, I'm a storyteller, or you know, I'm some sort of— uh, <sighs> performance artist uh, i am neither of those things i mean i suppose you could say that if you wanted to i don't know why you would i'm just a stand-up comedian sure yeah I, I, I see the same way when people ask me i'm like i i'm, I'm like you ever see wizard of oz i'm sort of like the scarecrow come to life <laughs> <laughs> see, i would consider myself a comedian and the reason why i call myself a comedian is because i wouldn't mind if somebody fed me a bunch of stuff to be funny, and I just delivered it. Yeah, I, I, would, be into, I would be into that. Like sure. that could be my life. And some people there would they would freak out if they weren't in complete control of the creative process. Well, the both of you have an interesting trajectory because uh, you know having the two of you here right next to each other as people who got into stand up comedy uh, later in life. Could maybe Hannah, you tell me what your experience was and when you got to the city and were you involved in stand up comedy before you got here? Yeah, um, I I tell people for sure that I've been doing stand up comedy for two years, but I've been flirting with it uh, over the last four. I'd, I'd done some briefly, like just open mics randomly, like in Denver. I'd done them in Kansas City. I'd done a couple in Austin. Actually, making the mistake once of inviting a date. To an open mic. <laughs> Guess who wasn't in the seat when I got off stage? Uh, for really real? For real. Wow. Yeah, still, still a friend, though, because I was like, you know what? That's good. It's a good sport. That's the kind of honesty that I admire. That's the kind of wow. like rigorous honesty that only Shakira's hips can provide. <laughs> And I'm in Yeah. You know what's what's hilarious is I, I did that once before too. Oh, it's the worst. And um, for me, one of the problems was that it was an open mic, um, like many open mics where there were no female comics. Mm -hmm. So it was all men in the whole room. Oh, yeah. More or less every guy, their set was directed at her oh, because God. she was the only woman in the audience. Oh, uncomfortable. And they couldn't believe that she was there. It was. It was girl. Awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it was that sort of situation. Oh, boy. Yeah. I have been pursuing it with, uh, you know, more professional aspirations over the last yeah. two years. Every, every other place that you were performing at before was sort of like just trying to like put the feelers out? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like when I was on tour with a, a band I was performing with that I had met and befriended when I was living in Austin, Texas. And so like when I was on the road with them, I was grabbing random mics and trying to get stage time. And like that was all really interesting and kind of like building up to like, oh boy, when I get to the city, I'll get to do this whenever I want. <laughs> what kind of crowds were you performing for? Random like open mics that I could find like on free mics in different cities. And like a couple of times my band members were like, yeah, just like warm up the crowd with stand up. I'm like, yeah, because that's what people want when they go to an electronic music concert is like yeah. stand up, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's after like the third joke, people are like, um, we're leaving right now. Well, and that was, I mean, that was an interesting time too, because like that was when I was still drinking. So there was definitely like some 
uh, in the loosest sense of the word, performances I gave that I don't 100% remember, but through the magic of my friend's iPhone, I got to see myself do a blackout stand-up set. And oh boy. How, how comfortable were you watching that? <laughs> you know, it was a little, it was a, a lot of bit uncomfortable, <laughs> actually. But I, I pulled it off. I got some laughs, certainly in some spots where I don't think that they were intended on my part, but, you know... Chalk it up to stage time. <laughs> you know, I do think that comedy and alcoholism go hand in hand. Oh, my to God. A Peanut butter and jelly. You know, so I definitely used to drink a lot more when I was much more serious about comedy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I found that uh, I've gotten much more serious now that I do not drink. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty pretty stoked on that decision. Yeah. I don't drink anymore either, really. So um, at least when I go out. I did on New Year's Eve, but... Was... I don't drink when I go out. Strictly in a dark room in my I... house. <laughs> Just in my closet, drank... a bottle of red. I drank a hot cocoa with some amaretto and Bailey's and Kahlua, and I was out like a light. Oh, you're getting grandpa drunk. I'm I gonna... like it. <laughs> That's how I roll, baby. Just yeah. put it all in here and don't tell your grandmother. So it takes. So it must I have taken it. a lot of um, willpower, I should say, to get yourself to be able to perform around a lot of people yeah. who probably need that liquid courage to get up there in front of complete strangers with their sets you know i really couldn't even imagine going up under the influence of anything at this point there are things that i still participate in for sure uh you know i mean i don't drink but i still do lots of cocaine uh, i'm just kidding <laughs> um, that's not how a little hot wine? i couldn't even imagine going up under the influence of anything now it would make me way too nervous i don't think i could have gotten sober anywhere else other than new york uh, yeah New York it's a sobering is, place. is amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, there's just I'm, I participate in a program for sure, and there's like one every hour here. And I tried to go to programs in the past in different states, and I think for me it was really weird because I was always one of the younger people in the room, and so I just like couldn't relate to that. But here, there's so much young, sexy sobriety, um, <laughs> and there's so many comedians in the room as well. So it's neat because like. I spend a majority of my life and time in New York in various basements uh, for either my program or for performing. Or, yeah. or for being on a radio show. Or uh, a radio show. I know. Uh, I do know a decent amount of people who, who go to AA um, to help with their oh, lives the and, to, and to meet women. And to meet women at yeah, the same time. Yeah, no, we would call those 13th steppers. Um, <laughs> but you know what we call, you know what, we call the, what we would say in reverse is if we were cruising for dudes. At AA, if, if that was a thing, yeah. If that was if that was a thing, if I was in fact in AA, uh, if the eleventh tradition did not forbade me to discuss it, uh, if I was shopping for dudes, it would be definitely the dented can aisle, is what we refer to them as. <laughs> dented can aisle. Oh my gosh! Sure. Wow. Incredible. Did you leave anything away from New York when you got here? You know, like I said, I was touring with my band. At the time, well, a band that I was performing with, not my band. Uh, they're Boohoo. They're on Spotify. They're B-U-H-U. Stands for Backup Hookup. Uh, <laughs> relate. Um, Such a good name. Right? They, like, swooped through and picked me up in Kansas because I pretty much, had, like, rented a storage unit there. I left my dog with my mom for, like, the first four months that I was in New York. And so that was... An absolute celebration the day that my, my puppy became a city pig. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm a dog owner, so I totally relate oh to God. having the, that animal love. That connection is incomparable. Yeah. There was a moment of trepidation when you were saying that sentence, and you were like, I left my dog. And I was like, oh, God. No, no, I'm in not the a gaping monster. jaws of a volcano. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, I'm so happy to have my puppy pig, my familiar, with me here. She's the best. <laughs> How often do you go back to Topeka? I actually just returned. Um, nice. Oh, for the holidays, yeah. Yeah, my cool. my sister, she lives here in Brooklyn as well. She's been here for you know, like 11 or 12 years. I think coming up on 12. Uh, she's about two years older than me, not quite. But she's been here for, like, she was here for school reasons, I guess? And... Uh, no, she moved out here right after she graduated. Okay. Um, or a couple years after she graduated, I think. I'm trying to get her timeline straight. But yeah, she's she's been out here. She does like a bunch of uh, freelance stuff. She's a stylist and a, like a prop stylist, set designer, licensed contractor. She's a New Yorker. She she does everything. And you would come and visit her as much as possible. Uh, you years? know, I would come and visit her as much as she would allow. Uh, like I said, we're a very private and personal sort of family when it comes to our own affairs. So Plus I would, once you get to New York, it's too cool for school time. It's yeah, it's way too cool for school, and you're, you're just so busy. You know, you're busy. You um, got things to do. Yeah, so I would come out here and visit her with my mom. Uh, she and I really didn't have much of a relationship until about three or four years ago when our father passed. That's when we got a lot closer. And mm-hmm. now I have this wonderful relationship with her. I hope you're listening. I love you. Um, <laughs> please come to karaoke next Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so like we have these weird little meetups like where we'll go and do karaoke. She does a monthly where she plays old country music and like really bad 90s country where? music. Have you ever been to Molasses Books? It's just down the way. That's a very familiar. DeKalbin Hart. Yeah. yeah. So they do this thing once a month. She and her friend Allie uh, called Baby's First Rodeo. <laughs> uh, where they it's on Facebook look it up they play like really old country and then of course just our country's checkbook is balanced everyone has a cowboy starter jacket early 90s country it's <laughs> wonderful so we just sit there and remember our childhood together and completely isolate everyone else who came to see her because <laughs> they're like what are you guys talking about we're like Kansas don't worry about it was it just the two of you or did you have a pretty big family Um, we have uh, two brothers um, one of which is uh, deceased um, he was our older brother Lee and then we have a little brother, Joseph, who lives in Montana, and I believe he is, like, 24. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of ya. Yeah. I mean, there was four of us growing up. We mostly lived with my mother. She raised my sister and I, and then we had sporadic custody with our dad. But, we, I mean, we certainly had a relationship with my dad and my brothers growing up. Between your sister, who eventually got into designing, and then you eventually getting into comedy— and performance. Was your upbringing rooted in the performing arts? Yeah, I come from a, a, a fairly liberal family. Um, we are Catholic, but our unofficial religion is the Democratic Party. <laughs> my and aunt, in Kansas, that must have been like, you know, yeah, something I mean, else. A shorter list is what's right with my state. <laughs> I just, I remember my Nana telling me I needed to break up with a boy once because he didn't vote. Um, what? Yeah. We're also a matriarchy. Around third grade is when I got the bug. My Nana, I think she noticed that I was a little rambunctious, but like I wasn't a problem child or anything. I just had a lot of feelings. And uh, she decided that they would be best channeled into the theater. And so I went to uh, Helen Hawker, which is a theater that we have in the park in Topeka, Kansas, where I am from, the capital. And there was an audition for this production called We Pals. What? Yeah, We Pals was based off of a comic strip from the 1960s. Is it, is it, is it like, We Pals? Ah, oh, We Pals, man. We pals. Well, it was a musical. And you had to audition for it in third grade? Yeah, 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 yeah. And Amazing. it was really weird because, like, my Nana, I remember her, like, kind of, like, elbowing me the whole time and just, like, grinning. I was, like, looking around, like, wide-eyed at the room at my first encounter with a wild stage mother. Oh, my gosh. Like, thank you for not, like, preening me or snapping at me to get my 
my chasses and parabures, like, correct. Like, I don't even know what this was. I still can't dance. And, uh, yeah, it just was really interesting to see the dynamic of an actual stage mother and child relationship. And I just was there with my Nana, who was like, you're great. Don't yeah. worry about it. You got this. Exactly. Imagine the intensity of which guys that you could date because of political oh, affiliation. Versus- you know, I mean, she, I don't I don't know that she was so serious so much as she just wanted to let me know that she certainly had an opinion about it. Yes. Yeah. But I'm saying is that at least that it didn't translate into that kind of intensity with... With the theater. Yes, exactly. No. <laughs> you can't do this show! The, the first role that I ended up getting was in third grade at uh, Helen Hawker for this production called We Pals, and the role was... Wonderful. I don't think I even understood what it was at the time. I just liked that I got to yell at yeah. boys. The role as it is written, because I looked at the playbook when I was visiting home recently, was the role of Connie, a young suffragette, a feminist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. I just get to hate boys. Good first role. Wonderful. I wrote a paper on women's suffrage in school, and I had think I had to explain to the class 20 times that it wasn't, like, women's suffrage wasn't just, like, the history of women. <laughs> like, they're like, yeah, they've been suffraging forever. Yeah. It's like, I was like, no, English has many meanings. There's yeah, lots yeah. of words, you know. Homophones. <laughs> exactly. When you arrived to high school, you were definitely involved in all sorts of uh, things, more than just theater, right? Well, I, I, was, uh, I was in forensics, uh, which is what? like doing theater in a box. Um <laughs> And maybe you're not quite smart enough for debate. I don't know. Sorry, <laughs> anybody who's like NFL proud. I, uh, so I did that, and I was still very much into theater. Theater was my life, okay? Wait, um, explain. What, what? How were you involved in forensics? No, not like CSI. Like uh, forensics and say, debate. Like, like oh. where you do like humorous interp or like, you know, persuasive speech and stuff like that. You go or, to like model Congress? Yeah, I did model UN in middle school, but I did not in high school. You know what I learned in model UN? That... UN has no power. <laughs> <laughs> I learned I learned that I could just uh, write a really ridiculous story about Tajikistan and try and bribe other countries with uh, opium fields. Yeah, that's what, like, like all I did was try to subvert the UN. And yeah. it was like, success. Like uh, my best friend was North Korea and I was Indonesia. And I was just like, let's just do this. I was like, I got this giant population. Let's just roll with it. I just knew that I would try and pass notes to the cutest cuties in there. So I'd be like, what up, Chad? What up, Congo? <laughs> uh, Tajikistan here. What's going on? <laughs> so that was your way of getting involved in a less theatrical but certainly a more proactive way sure i mean like i when i got to high school i was certainly like wanting to join all of the clubs mm. um i want to be involved yeah i was in gsa which is the gay straight alliance and that was a funny conversation to have with my mom i was like i'm not coming out i'm just telling you i'm in a club it's actually a really good way to put it yeah and she's like well so like s for straight right and i was like well um <laughs> but which which being in gsa in topeka kansas uh was interesting because we are the home of the Westboro Baptist Church. I actually grew up not very far from uh, their compound. And if you're unfamiliar with what the Westboro Baptist Church is and who Fred Phelps is or Steve Drain, oh boy, uh, I just don't know what to tell you other than like, I mean, we always grew up saying don't give them any attention. That's yeah, what they want. Um, exactly. They're, but they're I, trolls in human yeah, form. They are. They're human trolls. They're the terrible people that hold those uh, awful signs about how God hates homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Um so that was weird. They would come and pick at any like GSA event that our high school or any other high school had. At the time, though, I don't even think most of the high schools even had a P flag. When I joined GSA, I think it was probably 2003. 
My friend Samantha Snyder got me into it, and my friend Corey, they were both in Unity Justice Coalition and just wonderful protest gals. And I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, that's exciting. (laughs) I want to be friends with you and meet other people just like you. So it would have been early 2000s when we were in it. Even when we would put on a play at our school, I can't speak on behalf of other school fax machines, um, but we would get dirty, dirty, mean faxes uh, from the Phelpses for sure. That's really crazy. In I, one of them, I was referred yeah. to as a whore of Babylon. Oh! <laughs> I would love to use that as a credit if you want to add you, that later. Can you be like, well, if this was the future, would I be a whore of Babylon 5? Yeah, God, I wish. <laughs> oh, my God. Have you seen Farscape? We'll talk about it later. Uh, Farscape, yeah, my mother absolutely loves that show Your for some reason. Your mom and I would be friends. Yeah. I also was in another club uh, called Goat Club. What was that? Goat Club was uh, through the, I'm going to say it wrong. It's not 4-H. No, it's not 4-H, but like I grew up with horses and stuff. Right. I'm from I'm from the prairie. Uh-huh. Um, you know, as is mandated by state law, um, <laughs> every girl at eight years old receives her first horse, and you could actually be issued a ticket for wearing shoes. What? Uh, that's not true. I'm just gonna fill everybody. No, uh, but I wish that was true. Our state capitol building is in Applebee's. Yeah. So when you're um, when you're a child, you're strictly a bumpkin. Yeah, totally. The speed limit in her town was moseying. Uh, yeah, it was moseying. <laughs> actually, if you ever are so lucky as to drive on our highways out there the speed limit is very much suggested so (laughs) have fun with that so goat club it was through the heifer foundation heifer foundation i think heifer anyway i'm pretty sure that we found out about it through oprah um oprah she's the best and what it was was like there's like a whole catalog of different livestock that you could choose from so we could have been water buffalo club or chicken club but we chose goat because it was very metal goats were socialists there was no president of the goat club there was dominant goat and I was Dominant Goat. I would start every meeting on top of a chair. And if someone could knock me over, well, then they were got Dominant Goat. But what we would do <laughs> is we would... Nature's uh, president, right? You know, right? We would... Uh, <laughs> goats are the only animal with orbital pupils and backwards arching horns. And we would raise money to send a pregnant goat to a developing country along with agricultural information on how you could use this goat for, you know, it's fur, like for pashmina maybe, or you could use it for yogurt or cheese or milk or soaps or lotions. And then, you know, a certain X amount of time before it gives birth to its kids. And then once one of those kids is pregnant and reproducing, then you can slaughter said initial goat for meat. So when you said goat club, you weren't lying. I wasn't lying. That wasn't no acronym. That was some straight goats. That was some straight goats, baby. <laughs> Wait, so where would they take the pregnant goats to normally? The, hal- uh, the halal guy. <laughs> yeah. Actually, <laughs> Not just... cool, dude. I've seen them before. <laughs> you know, it just really depended on, like, whomever needed it most, I guess. Like, mm. we would just send money to this foundation and then they sure. send a goat somewhere. And That's fascinating. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard anything really like that. I'm pretty sure cool. it's still in existence. So, you know. I believe you, you. If you want to sponsor an animal being sent to be ethically slaughtered and used in a country, go for it. I feel like I want to join Water Buffalo Club. Oh, yeah. It sounds very prestigious. Like, perhaps you're a mason, but you're not. You're actually just sending water buffalo. Well, what would you, yeah, where would you send a water buffalo? To though? whatever nations have them. To New York, Buffalo, New York. <laughs> and be like, just in case it rains. Yeah. <laughs> All terrain buffalo, just for you. If I was an animal and I knew I was delicious, I'd be really worried all the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, humans are pretty delicious, but... Welcome to what it feels like to be a woman, Jimmy. Oh, man! <laughs> People 
licking their lips daily. I'm sorry. I just compared women to animals, and I'm, I'm sure I will have to face the tribunal well, for that. I'm it's sorry. true. It's true. I did write a joke that I've never I've never done because I don't know if it would ever work, but I it was basically likening men as hunters mm. searching for women mm. and then trying to determine whether or not they were like plump enough it like from the winter to mm-hmm. like hunt mm-hmm. by looking at their upper arm <laughs> that's who was it wasn't it uh ray charles used to touch women's wrists to see uh, what their body type was like he would always wow. shake by the wrist you like, know yeah. i feel like that could teach you yeah because honestly even with a thin-wristed woman that was bigger like there's gonna be some sort of density sure, wrist yeah. density I don't know how comfortable I am with this conversation. <laughs> what's, what, what's, we apologize to so all out there. Roll it back a little bit. You, with, 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 with bad wrist density. Uh, you would consider yourself a feminist. Sure, absolutely. I don't think it's a dirty word. And, <laughs> and when did you get into feminism? Was it around this time when you were getting involved in all the clubs? Obviously, the straight you lines know, that was standing. I don't necessarily know that I even like knew what that word was even though i was heavily into riot girl music and these clubs until like i made it to my mid-20s and you know with the the rise of social media and just like buzzwords in general okay well what does this mean i was like well yeah sure i think everybody should probably be this and then you know you start learning about intersectionality and all of these different things about feminism that you hadn't considered because you might come from a place of privilege hey even knowing what I know now, I absolutely am a feminist. When you were doing the show that we're about to talk about, that character that you played oh. is a very stereotypical caricature of a damsel, female damsel. Totally. And those are the kind of roles that I would always get cast as. I would either Why do you be. Think that? You know, uh, I don't know. Um, I was never an ingenue. I will tell you that. I just, I have a face that does not say ingenue and definitely an attitude. But I would either get cast as like straight up evil or kind of like a, a ditzy fast gal. <laughs> ditzy, yeah. I want to, I want to, because I, because I know that I'm. What, what, what am I again? Am I slick and what is fast it? and slick? I'm fast and slick. Apparently, so my friend told me that when I was six years old. But nice. say that again, fast and like a ditzy sort of bubbly, fast. a ditzy, ditzy bubbly fast. sort of like fast gal. Uh, Fast. So when you say fast, you mean? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm speaking in like Nana speak. Perhaps she's like a little bit more sexual. Yeah. Okay. That's what I. That's what I was inferring. Yeah. 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 Okay. At in high school, when you were cast as these characters, was this something that you were comfortable with and others weren't, or did you find it more of a challenge to get to that level? No, I think I loved it because it enabled me to kind of escape to a super duper duper super magnified version of myself, like a hyper self sort of thing. These women that I embodied on stage, I got to, (laughs) I got to, I got to be braver. I got to be louder. I got to be riskier. I got to be flirtier than I would definitely be in my regular, regular life. You know what's interesting? I just rewatched the other day, which I hadn't seen in so long, Annie Hall. Okay. And just like they had the little blurb to explain what it was, and they just said, you know, neurotic New York comedian, <laughs> played by Woody Allen, mm-hmm. uh, dates ditzy Diane Keaton. Mm-hmm. And I, what? I, yeah. You never really thought of her as ditzy, did never. you? I never, never. when I watched it. And then, but constantly in the film. Woody Allen, she, not a feminist. <laughs> exactly. Constantly in the film, she's doubting her own intelligence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I'm so dumb. Like, why do you think I'm so dumb? And it's because Woody Allen wrote the movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in some of the characters that I played, like, especially with Audrey. Um, little Shop of Horrors. Yes. That's a spoiler. We're going to explore that. <laughs> um, with Audrey, I liked her character a lot because I felt like 
from beginning to end, she starts to like self-actualize and realize that she is a powerful person sure. of worth. And yeah, I mean, I suppose you could say that it's a little trite because it's like, oh, it took a man to help her realize this. But by the end of it, like she's just she's she's powerful, you know, I mean, and like I remember realizing because, of course, I was like heavily immersed in like theater was my life. OK, like watching musicals over and over again and getting pretty early on that a musical like Grease. I was like, this is some BS. Like, I don't like the message of this at all that like you have to change for a man. But with Audrey, I liked it because it was somebody saying I'm a person that everyone has said is not OK you're a person that doesn't feel like she's okay. Like It's just like two broken people building each other up, which I'm sure is not necessarily uh, the healthiest message either. Like, hey, you're an incomplete person. You just need another incomplete person to be a whole. That's not true. I don't know. I thought it was sweet. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's dive into the world of Little Shop of Horrors in <laughs> 2004 with Hannah Cowger. Oh, boy. Lost Overwhelmed, Radio Free Brooklyn. segue that little shop of horrors was the production in topeka kansas at hannah cowger's high school we are joined by hannah cowger live in the studio to talk about her role of audrey in this production this is a production that occurred in your high school well what what year junior year okay so you were not 17 but almost 17 i was on the edge of 17 you were on <laughs> i would have been uh graduated in 2006 just like, same year as me yeah yeah you guys are you trying to say just like the white wing dove suddenly jimmy <laughs> is standing beside you no. feed yeah. me elon feed me <laughs> sorry yeah she, no, she, you, you, but you know you totally <laughs> caught my joke before um, I liked it. Yeah, I, I did some Fleetwood Mac. What kind of music were you listening to oh, in junior year? Um, my entire personality was based off of my music tastes and my leather jacket and whatever I had painted on it or pinned on it. It was super important for me to let everybody know how punk rock I was. Mm -hmm. I was listening to mostly like The Addicts, like Sham 69, and like Violators, and a lot of things that people would be like, what is that? I don't, what, what are you talking about? Nobody's listening to that. I definitely never got extensive punk rock catalogs. But there's a song by the Subhumans that I, I absolutely love. love. I feel love. like I would love to Lingo. go back in time or to the alternate dimension where there was a punk version of you, Alon. <laughs> the same way, like looking over at you and just with a spike mohawk, like, yeah, let's do this. Like, it just doesn't. Yeah. You know, I actually, there's a guy named Noah Lyon. Uh, shout out to Noah Lyon, who lives in Brooklyn now. Hey, and hey. I was in seventh grade when he was in 11th grade. And I remember he was the resident punk rocker. Oh, yeah. You always, in your school, remember that kid that you looked up to in some regard as the consummate stereotype. You don't know who he is personally, but you see him. He's like his aura, his passing by. He's got the leather jacket. He's got the chutzpah to go into the school every day and make a fashion statement. It's amazing to watch that kind of personality on display. <laughs> How did that fare in your school? Well, at that time in my school, there were probably like three of us that were punk rock to like the fullest extent. So there You weren't alone. No, I wasn't. 
Um, I they were there with you. Yeah. Well, it was funny because like we all didn't necessarily like each other or connect immediately because I mean at that point in our adolescence, um, you know, and especially in the Midwest, something as sacred as discovering alternative music, and of course the absolute. I don't know. I don't want to say indignance of youth, but like, I think we all pretty much were like, okay, this is mine. I found it. You can't have it. Like, it's a club. It's for me. And it also was frustrating because, like, between myself, Tasha Ransom, and Drew Perry, we all had blonde mohawks at the same time. And so people either assumed we were each other or siblings or dating. And like, when we all finally did break and become friends, we decided to keep up all three of those rumors at once. <laughs> so people were like, oh my God, like, I think they're related and dating. It's very scary. <laughs> it, it was it was well assumed that I was a drug addict because I had long hair. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it wasn't, and I was like the only Hispanic kid that had long hair where it wasn't braided. Oh. They couldn't believe I didn't have cornrows and like. You guys aren't here now, but he does have cornrows right now. Right now. Yeah, boy. <laughs> I, I was always assumed that I was weak because um, I, I was short and very thin, <laughs> which is true. I was not the most uh, intimidating in fact, the opposite of intimidating when I was younger. So everybody was using me as a pushover a lot of the time. Totally. Sometimes I deserved it, but other times it was unwarranted. I just wanted to be way better than I was. I remember being so cavalier and like, I don't need to audition for this musical. I don't even want to. This is so dumb. And then like in my head, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Okay, we're going to get this role. Like, this would be so cool if we got this role. Oh my gosh, it would be so exciting. Uh, yeah, I don't really care about musicals. And then like when I got the role, just like, silently like screaming and jumping up and down to myself and then like not telling anybody because <laughs> I was like this is not cool this is a dream role that you had yeah oh absolutely this was like one of my favorite musicals Ellen Green is so good Be amazing yeah and like that's who I would watch and just practice and emulate and then like when we did the audition I felt fairly confident but also sort of like well this will never work well, what would they do with my mohawk? <laughs> Did you end up doing any other school plays besides this one? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. But after um, this, this, but after no, this. after this one, no. Nah, dog. This was the last one that you did. Y'all, I dropped out. I did notice earlier when she was like, yeah, I would have graduated. Yeah, I would have. Like, uh, around this year, but who really knows? But I couldn't have graduated from uh, Punk Rock Academy if I hadn't dropped <laughs> exactly. out of Topeka High, the guys. School of rock. Come on. The school yeah. Of rock. I, that's really interesting that this was your swan song. It was. Yeah, you guys, I peaked. I peaked in high school. <laughs> well, <laughs> pretty no, rough. It was a swan song from the very impressionable and very in inspired and very involved Hannah Cowger that was, you know, clearly the product of some kind of very politically left-leaning and very progressive, uh, creative lifestyle. Well, it was weird because after this production and after I dropped out, it was so, again, so important to me to just, like, be bad and, like, show everybody how punk I was. I'm sure that there were several activating events for that, but that's neither here nor there. So, like, I went traveling and, like, you know, joined bands and stuff like that and definitely didn't even do theater again in any sense of the word until I was 23 years old. And that's when I got back into theater the remaining group of old friends that I had and the new group of friends that I had made were all just like, whoa, this is not something that we knew you were even interested in, let alone very good at, which that's what they said. I didn't say that, but I did very good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to myself Please book me. Back. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting to return to that because like, I remember 
in this journey to be so punk rock um, and impress haircuts and or boys and girls, um, I really kind of dumbed myself down because I didn't think that being involved in theater or in performance at all was cool or like, you know, interesting enough to like talk about then, oh, you, that's a really cool you know, back patch that you have. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you that. Um, but it was way cooler than any of that. When I out. went, when I went to college, the school that I went to, I went for film. And yes. I didn't. I, I did the stage plays the same in cool, high school, cool. and then I was sort of afraid of putting all my eggs in this like performance mm-hmm. basket. And I was like, I want to get these other skills that are more practical. Which down the line, I was like, oh, I don't want to do that anyway. But that's how college goes. That's how it goes, man. But there was we had musical theater in my school, and I remember the same way really being put off by it by the kids that were doing musical theater because they would be these guys and these girls that would be like singing down the hallway. Oh, yeah, no, I don't like that. Singing like, you know, Aladdin. Divas. You're right. But the amount of times that I'd hear like, oh, no. Yeah. Like coming from the well, bathroom, I'm just like, is this? I never, I, I never associated with that either. And I was doing play after play after play after play for Those over ten years. Those kids were too pure for me, man. Like I remember, like when I got the role for this particular musical that we're discussing, so many professional choir girls in high school being like, she does not deserve this role. She is too bad. Does she even go to class? It was weird because it was like I don't necessarily fit in with any of those kids. Oh my god, you know I was you know, abusing Adderall and smoking weed and drinking and like... Time out, time out, time out. You were smoking and drinking. You yeah. were also abusing Adderall. Are you kidding in me? Junior do you, year of high school. Do you have a, Do you have any idea how many AP classes I was taking? Come on. <laughs> as an, they're, they're as an ADD kid, I have no I'll tell you ability that I don't... to dis- disassociate myself with Adderall at all because I definitely. Well, yeah, you it. need it. Yeah, yeah. It does not. It does not do the same thing for me or uh, people who don't have ADD that it does for you. Like it just pretty much like sped me up, and I was able to like go to rehearsals and like, yeah study for anatomy and physiology and you know all of the classes that I had that I was deciding to go to at the time I was doing that and like smoking and drinking and you know the the kids who were singing a whole new world yeah, and you didn't like fit into the clique no they didn't like me they were just like yeah. ew she's a cat with mange don't pet her <laughs> it's gross does this mean you did not really get along with most of your cast you know I hadn't been given like a formal diagnosis or like the correct meds at all at that time I am bipolar type 2 and I think taking Adderall recreationally on top of that definitely aggravated super aggro Hannah. I was cranky because I wasn't sleeping or eating, just kind of antisocial in general. But I'm sure everybody just assumed that, oh, well, she's just punk rock. That's what they do. It was just really uncomfortable most of the time. And even if those kids did like me or like make an attempt to be friendly or kind to me, it didn't translate to me as such. I always figured I was like a joke to them or something. The boy that played my Seymour, though, I'd been friends with him since we were probably like 10 doing theater. I liked him. And I also liked that he drank and smoked and all of that. Like we we got along just fine. But you know what it is? That is just the beginning. It's the classic beginnings of haters. It's just haters being <laughs> haters in school before they like know what it's all about to be haters. You know, I think I was my biggest hater though in their defense. So. Yeah, but I mean at the okay. same time, I you know, I had something that was sort of similar. In my high school, we had, you know, the school plays every year. The first one that I tried out for, I never thought I could do it. I never was interested in that sort of thing until my junior year. There was a girl that I dated at the time, and she just transferred to the school. She'd done all the school plays in her old school, mm-hmm. so she had a lot of theater background. And we both went out for the same play. You know, she convinced me that I, that I could act and that I should try it, and I said, sure. 
And then I guess I got a much bigger role than she did. Mm -hmm. And she was furious with me. And the entire time we did the play, she would never stop, like, giving me shit about it. Aww. And it got so bad that the director came and pulled me aside and goes, you need to break up with her. Oh, no. And he was like, I've never once said anything in all my years of teaching to a student that it was about their personal life. But this, he's like, this chick is like, every performance, she'd be like guilting me before we would start and stuff like Dangerous that. Dangerous showmance. You know, exactly. Showmance. I, I, exactly. That, that, this has come up a lot of times. And um, I got to say, Jimmy, give you credit because you didn't do many uh, musicals in high school. But every time you talk about it, there's always a new story about Drama. it. <laughs> yeah, it was this. This show was particularly exciting for me because it culminated this long standing crush, this unrequited crush that I had on Robbie Fowler, who played my Seymour. And again, we had been doing theater since we were 10. And there was always the whisper of like, is he, isn't he? And then like, he didn't even know at the time. And then I remember like a really embarrassing moment in my seventh grade year when we did Guys and Dolls together and he was my Nathan and I was his Adelaide. And I was like, what? I know that like things are different and like confusing for all of us right now. But like, if you ever need to practice kissing, like I'm, <laughs> I'm around. Robbie, oh Robbie is awesome. I love him. He lives in New York right now Dude, with man. his fiance. Nice. Um, and he is he is gay. <laughs> well, let, awesome. let, let us uh, talk about. Uh, I got to kiss him in the show, and it was amazing. Let, let, let us... Stage kisses are weird, though, aren't they? <laughs> there so, wasn't a stage kiss. It. I think he knew. He was like, Hannah wants a kiss. <laughs> this is actually a perfect point you make because, um, like we did with Sam Z on the show uh, some time back, he provided us with a video. You provided us with a video. So, unfortunately, because we are uh, digitizing the audio from said video, of which is totally permissible for this program, because. We're going to be listening to a few of your songs, oh, and God. it's not necessary to be having all the visuals. I have to point out, oh, actually, I'll, I'll wait until we do Suddenly Seymour, which is not coming up just yet. In the meantime, let's take a listen to Somewhere That's Green. Popsicles. <laughs> I, I have not heard this in 13 Shut years. I'm so green. excited. Let's right. take a listen. Let's do it. Exclusive, exclusive. Oh, my God. Green. Oh, my God. 
Still do any singing then? Uh, yeah, I sing karaoke. Yeah, I do karaoke. Well, but you're—I you, mean, you're not piping it the same way. Karaoke Listen, always. I okay. produce this monthly show, I, if for nothing else, as an excuse for me to get in costume and open the show and tell my performers this is what we expect. Apologies I, to the listener uh, <laughs> for any of the crickling and crackling the VCR that I bought last night at about twelve thirty from Craigslist. <laughs> Thank you. We'll get back to you in one second, Hannah, but I just have to get this no, off my chest. this needs to be told. Last night, I'm digitizing this, and no lie, the VCR completely craps out, and I'm saying to myself, I, I need to do this. This has to be done. So I go on Craigslist, because that's the only place you can go to purchase a VCR anymore. 12.30 in the morning, I took a lift and got myself to the location and back. I went to bed Shout out to the guy who was up at that time of night in Ocean Hill on, like, Saratoga Avenue, way the hell out there. I bought his VCR, working Panasonic VCR, for $10. Yes. I gave him $9, four quarters, and I got back on my list and went home <laughs> and began working. Thank on the- you. Unreal, bro. And, I mean, I can't recognize you because it's very difficult with the wig, and you're in high school, and I'm just getting to know you for the first time over these last few months, Hannah. Mm. And that was gorgeous. That was just simply gorgeous. Like, the entire presentation, you just knocked it out the park with I, I was this. Imp- I was impressed. Thank I was, you very I was. much. But I can see how the same way you're like... Yeah, so I got to make some sort of excuse. I got to be able to sing in some sort of forum. People need to hear me and know this. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's the way to be. With all the haters, more or less, that you had indicated before, it must have been quite a, like, a hush, hush, hush kind of of the haters. Yeah. Uh, a, hush, a hush falls over the crowd, exactly. Because no, I mean... you put everybody in their place. Yeah. Yeah, because at first they could be like, ah, oh, well, she doesn't even know how to. Nope. Well, I uh, yeah, I, got I, him. I hope you uh, 
this is like so full of myself, but like I hope you do post the picture of me of what I looked like underneath of that wig at the time in conjunction with this episode uh-huh. because that was what I think everybody was just so like ick about. But I love musical theater and I'm so bummed that I hid that part of me for so long. Um, and my resolution this year is to definitely quit smoking so I can get back to that pretty voice. Uh, I still have a lot of the same notes, but my higher register has suffered greatly. So don't sure. smoke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, unless you want to sound like this, kids. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm just going to moonlight for like Edna Turnblatt. <laughs> exactly, you know. well, let's, let's keep it going. We're already on this track. We're yeah. on, in this rhythm. Also, thank you. I have not heard that uh, in 13 years. And like, I just so desperately wish I could go give little Hannah a hug because that was nice. <laughs> Memories. <laughs> <laughs> I believe Ellen Green actually did that role as well. Suddenly uh-huh. Seymour is a song that I hear all the time because of karaoke, speaking of which. And I must admit that it is become so ingrained in my head that I never think of any other song other than that, when it comes to Little Shop of Horrors, and I'm familiar with the show, I'm familiar with the movie, and you know that that song will be heard before and Skid Row, etc. But this song is just so iconic that it's so difficult to get anything out of the show other than this. It's such a brilliantly written song. Yeah. And you said that you had such a good chemistry with your uh, co-star. Yeah. Robbie. And uh, I love you still. <laughs> if you ever need to practice kissing. So, he's pr- so <laughs> if he ever hears the show, this will be the first time that he's heard this yeah, just as well. I'm going to send this to him immediately. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Robbie, this one goes out to you. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about what happens after this song yeah. once it's done. You miss him, don't you? I miss him? Oh, I never felt so relieved as when they told me he'd gone. Oh, it was like a miracle. Well, not to mention all the money I paid on absent sauce in his bandages. Then, then what's the matter? Well, I guess I just feel guilty is all. I mean, what if he met with foul play and some terrible accident of some kind? Partly feel responsible, you know, because... Show me your face, clean as a bowl. 
like that <laughs> boom goes the dynamite uh yeah again sorry for the crickling and the crackling but hey, hey these are old tapes bro. these are Very old tapes this is what the past sounds 12 like. years ago you were in this production of little shop of horrors and you said while we were listening to it that your cousin was playing the dentist yeah i mean he's technically like a second cousin or whatever but it, it counts it counts it counts yeah uh, I don't know why I just tried to dismiss that like a Kansan. Yeah, he's like, yeah, <laughs> cool. He's, a, he's my brunkle daddy. Um, <laughs> no, uh, Brandon Turkey, whose mom actually, I believe, probably recorded this. He played Oren Scrivello, uh, the dentist. And I remember when I saw that he was cast, I was like, oh, that's so perfect. Except now I have to kiss my cousin. <laughs> you had to kiss Robbie at the very end of this amazing rendition mm-hmm. of Suddenly Seymour. And I don't think I've ever seen a more passionate kiss from my high school production, which is, unfortunately, we can't see it, but it is it is raw and real. <laughs> wow, yeah, Robbie, Robbie went for that. it, and I'm sure I'm blushing right now. Uh, Robbie went for it, and he went for it every night, and it made me so happy and so sad because I was like, oh, no. 
but I love you. <laughs> and you and you did how many productions of uh, performances of this? Um, we did two official ones, but we did like a teaser, which was the whole show for like an eighth grade class where Robbie was like, dude, you totally just awakened so many eighth graders. I was like, oh, uh, gross. Uh-huh. Um, probably true, though. Oh, um, and then uh, we did a, a teaser for the high school itself. So four in all. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting that you only did four, but at the same time, you made all of those four count. Clearly. Fantastic rendition of a song that is iconic. And what's even better is is, is that you have this amazing memory that you can come back to it. When you go back to Kansas to see your family for the holidays, you go and you take this tape back with you and you get to hear it for the very first time. It's wonderful. Thank you. We strive to do this. We strive to unearth all these artifacts and bring it back full circle. How you are now really was shaped very heavily by the performances that you did. Tell us exactly what you have coming up then. What is Hannah Cowger doing now these days? You uh, you said you have a show at Legion, this rock and... Uh, uh, rock and roast, yeah. Rock the, and roast karaoke. The show that I produce, it is my baby. I, my co-producer is Rosa Escondon. Um, we do that show monthly. We've just rehomed it uh, from its original location to now Legion Bar in Williamsburg. It's going to be the 27th. We're still in talks about the time. Okay. Um, but I would imagine it'll probably be around 8 p.m. Just stay tuned. You can follow me at Hannah Biotics with a Z because I'm an idiot on Twitter to get updates there or Calgar Hannah on Instagram. You've got so many shows that you do. I mean, you, you're constantly out there performing and I'm being a working on show- gal. You're a working gal. Um, the next like straight stand-up performance that I have coming up is going to be at Bunga's Den on the 5th, uh, Laugh and a Draft with Jared Wilder, and the, the rest of the lineup is really fantastic. I would recommend checking that out. I believe that's going to be at 8 p.m. at Bunga's Den on January the 5th. Following that, I'm doing a prescription of laughter at Triple Crown. That'll be at 7 p.m. in Manhattan, another stellar lineup. A show that I'm very much looking forward to is going to be called Specific Standard Time, it's produced by Nasser Khan and another gentleman whom I am not going to remember right now. So I apologize. Nasser Khan's good. Folks. Nasser's amazing. Uh, so that'll be 15 sexy minutes from me uh, nice. at, at Standard Time. And that's at 8 p.m. on January the 12th. And then I have a show at Bodega Bar in Williamsburg. It's for women's rights. Uh, kind of a my body, my choice sort of show. But I promise you. <laughs> the jokes uh, will be topical. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They will be topical. But uh, I promise you mine are not that scary and involve very little to do with my my body or me being a woman <laughs> i'm like in the britney paradox of like not a girl not yet a woman if there was like a box for muppet that's good thing what i would not, check good thing you're not at the britney bald stage that's well i've been there baby um but that one's gonna be at 8 p.m at bodega bar on Amazing. the 15th and then of course rounding out the month is rock and rose the very busy hannah Calger here on lost and rowan thank you so much for coming out thank you so much for having me thank you again to all of our listeners let us know your thoughts or to contribute your own artifacts from the yesteryears. Lost, Lost and rewound. Like, at, subscribe, and donate. At gmail.com. Exactly. Gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back here on Radio Free Brooklyn, Bye. Thursday, 3 p.m. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.